Crippled Content Creations presents Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability, with your host, Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark, with Andrew Gerza, shining a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming to a brand new episode of Disability After Dark. I am Andrew Gerza, of course, your host, and I'm really excited you're here to talk sex and disability with me. I'm actually super excited for this episode. This one is one that I've wanted to do for a while now, but I wasn't really sure how to kind of form it into a proper episode and how to bring it connected to sexuality. And I decided that it does connect to sexuality and disability, although tangentially sort of, kind of in terms of identity base and all that stuff. So that's where I want to go with it today. Um, Let me tell you what the topic is. I'm excited to share. So I decided that I want to tell you a story about the few times that I've done drag as a disabled person and what that meant for me, why I love doing it, how and why it started, my thoughts on drag, how it's linked to my activism around queerness and disability, and also how hilarious I may or may not have been and how I may and may not have looked hilarious while doing it on stage. I also want to share all the stuff that happened in between all of that. The getting ready, the prep, the dressing up, the getting the right outfits. There's so much hilarity to unpack in this episode. So get ready. To start the story off right, I need you to hearken back to 2003-2004. I had just turned 21 and I was living it up in university. I was going out to clubs and I was partying and I was kind of getting my footing together and doing the thing we all do when we first emerge out on our own, trying to figure out like what, how to navigate the world around us and what identity we want to choose and who we are and all those things were happening. I was basically having my felicity moment in college and trying to figure out who I was. Um, I was starting to access my queer center a whole lot more and go into the student union queer center and get to know other queer people and get to know about queer activism. And it wasn't something that really I was super excited by initially. I kind of wanted to go there to meet boys, to be honest. I went to the queer center to meet dudes to maybe get my dick sucked by somebody at some point. And I would fall in love with all the, the queer people that went in there because I wanted to just be part of that scene. And I was like, if I go to the center, there'll be, there'll surely be somebody who wants to like love me there it never happened, but that's initially why I started going there. Um, and I felt it was really important to be a part of that political community in the school. Aside from just wanting to do, to do boys, I knew as a disabled person, my presence there was really, really important. One of my really, really close friends, when I first started accessing my queer identity on the college campus, and subsequently, one of the listeners to this podcast, 
you may have heard her aunt. Her name is Pam Murphy. She was one of my best friends when I first started figuring out my queerness and, and really figuring out how to access it because even though I came out at 16, I really didn't start to to access my queerness until I went away to school. So Pam Murphy was one of my really close confidants there and she came out to me. We came, we kind of came out to each other um, through working at the the Disability Student Union Center at my college. We hung out all the time. We worked slash volunteered there. When you're working in a student union, you never really know if you're working or volunteering there. So we were making like tiny bits of money, but we were basically volunteering our souls to be there. And we just really bonded. We were super... She introduced me to Tegan and Sarah. Without her, I would never know who they were. She really kind of helped me to... To, to not only access my queerness, but access my inner lesbian and my, my, and I can't thank her enough for that. She was great. And one day we were walking around the student union, just going to get food or going to do something on break from working there. And she noticed that the LGBTQ pride week was happening and they were having a drag show and we saw it and she was like, Oh my God, Andrew, you have to go and you have to. Um, sign up for this. You you need to. You just have to. You really you really should. And I'm really encouraging you to do that. Please please do that. And I remember that her eyes lit up and she smiled so intensely when she saw this. And she was like, Oh my God, Andrew, this is totally your thing. Please do this. And I don't quite remember what I said in response. But the next thing I knew, we were filling out an application form together to do this to do this, to have Andrew be in this drag show. And I was nervous and I was kind of excited all at once. I mean, I had seen drag queens on TV and in movies, but I had never seen one in real life or I'd never seen one that looked like me. And I remember thinking, can they even have drag queens in wheelchairs? I mean, is that even a thing? I just looked back at my notes, and when I said it was 2003, 2004, that's true. I was not 21. I was actually 19, going on 20. So I was still a, I was still a baby in a lot of senses of the word. I was still kind of understanding all this. So the idea that I was even considering exposing myself and going into drag as a disabled person who was really super shy. I mean, it's. I know you hear this podcast, and you hear me talk about how, like, brazen I was but truly though I'm super shy and kind of an introverted extrovert really that's that's my jam so the idea that I would go and I mean it's weird because I'm shy but I'm also kind of like a fame whore so those two identities often spar with one another and that's where I'm always stuck I want the attention and I'm afraid of the attention all at the same time and when I was considering doing this drag thing that's kind of the emotions I was having and I I expressed that to Pam and I was like I don't know how I feel about this like it's weird would I be any good at it maybe I would suck what like what if people don't like me what if it's not doesn't go over well like how am I gonna do this and like I also started thinking about how am I gonna get dressed up and who's gonna help me and all these things that were very valid when you're disabled and need help with lots of things and how how is all this stuff gonna work and I can't just throw on a dress and get up there like the other drag queens do and I, I realized that my access to this community was different because I need help. So all of this stuff was thoroughly talked about with Pam, and I made sure to let her know just how scared I was and how worried I was about this going over and what am I going to do, and all this, all these things were thoroughly talked about. But she had a really 
good way of convincing me. And she just was like, Andrew, you're awesome. This is totally up your alley. This will be so fun for you. Just please do it. And then we talked about it and she was like, you know, there will be no other drag queens in wheelchairs. You really need to do this. It'll be so much fun. Please do it. So after that kind of convincing, I was like, well, okay, I don't, I totally have to like, sure. All right. I'm going to do it. And, and then the process got started more readily for me to become the drag queen. And so I remember on my application form, they wanted to know my performance name. I had a kind of an idea, but I didn't really know what I was going to call myself. And then I remembered when we were, when I was a kid, my mom and I and, and the family, my mom would sometimes dress up and wear wigs and she would put on wigs and fancy dresses and do this pretend play accent and call herself, she'd call herself Eloise when she got dressed up. Um, and we would laugh and joke about it. It was a family thing. So I decided that in honor, in homage to her, my character's first name would be Eloise because I wanted it to be kind of classy and fun that way. Um, and for the last name, I wanted something kind of dirty and provocative. I picked kumquat, namely because it had the word cum in it, spelled C-U-M. And my 19-year-old self thought that was hilarious and like the funniest thing I'd ever, I'd ever decided upon. Um, and it was really... Uh, <laughs> and, and then my drag performance name was born and, and I welcomed to the world Eloise Kumquat. I was also stupidly apprehensive about the whole thing because I was worried about my aggro pretend assumption that I had to be hyper-masculine and I was worried that that would be challenged and then people would assume that I was some girly gimp disabled kid and while this kind of bothered me, I knew this was something that I wanted to do so I powered ahead anyway but I was really worried about my masculinity being challenged because I, I assumed in my youth, in my youngness, in my naivete that you couldn't be feminine and you couldn't be powerful if you were a, a dude, which I now realize is super ridiculous. And I have major respect for those of us who who embrace our femme identities. And it's something that I really want to embrace more. And I'll talk more about that. But it was something initially at this stage that I was super worried about. There's a lot more to come on this episode of Disability After Dark. But first... We're going to play some ads from our awesome sponsor and some great listeners. So we'll do that and we'll be right back on Disability After Dark, the podcast shining light on sex and disability with your host, Andrew Gerza. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by the worker owners of Come As You Are. Come As You Are has the peculiar distinction of being the world's only worker-owned cooperative sex shop. With feminist and anti-capitalist values, Come As You Are only carry sexuality products that they truly believe in at the lowest price possible. Get free shipping at www.comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hello, I'm Mandy Ree, and you're listening to Disability After Dark, the podcast that shines light on sex and disability. This episode of Disability After Dark is brought to you in part by La Petite More. La Petite More is a Hamilton, Ontario, Canada-based sex toy company operated by Haroon Sperling. A 1NB operation, they are committed to body safety, body positivity, and a gender-neutral approach to their toys. 
head to petitemore.ca to check them out and be sure to use coupon code AFTERDARK for free shipping at checkout. Petitemore.ca, adult, queer, safe. Welcome back to Disability After Dark. Thank you so much to our sponsors, Come As You Are and Le Petit More. And thank you to our listening base who created those listener ads for us. I'd love for you to create one for me about what Disability After Dark means for you and means to you. Uh, if you want to do that, let me know. You can always email me at andrew at andrewgerza.com. And just send me a 20-second clip about what the show means to you, and I'll make sure to play it in the ads space and I appreciate your listening of course. Now back to the show. So I remember rolling in to Le Chateau this little tiny boutique in I think it's American now but it was only Canadian at the time and I went in there one afternoon when I was on like a spare period and I I went into this store and I was presenting super masculine. I had facial hair I'm pretty sure I, and it was January, so I was cold, and I looked, you know, I had a coat on, and I looked like it, I looked like myself, like a, like male identified, and I walked into this store, and I remember the sales girl or the saleswoman asked me who I who I was buying, what I wanted for, and who I was there for, because typically only women shopped at this particular Le Chateau or this part of Le Chateau, I think. Um, and this was one of those defining moments for me in my queerness. One that I, you know, forgot how important it was, how defining this moment was, because I took a deep breath, put a big smile on my face, and I said, oh, I'm actually here for me. And I distinctly remember when I said this, she was somewhat taken aback by what I was saying, and like, oh, uh, 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 all right, oh, okay. And this might have just been our 2004 2003, 2004, discomfort around different gender identities. I'm pretty sure that if a a male-identified person were to enter a store right now and say, I want to get this, I'm hoping that our attitudes around that would change. But it was clear to me that she was uncomfortable, and and admittedly, I was uncomfortable really admitting this because I was waiting for, like, you know, the backlash, but how, how, why is this guy, why is this male identified person coming in the store saying this? But we trudged along together and I explained to her that it was for a drag competition. And then when I did that, our discomfort kind of like dissipated for the both of us. And we kind of got into it. I remember going around the store with her and asking her for particular items and asking her for what I wanted and needed for this thing. And we were laughing and playing around with the ideas and she was trying to figure it out for me, and it was a really interesting moment for me to look at another another identity um, for you know with myself and to really consider that for me. And I remember rolling around the store looking for bras and shoes and things that would fit my spastic body, and it was indeed an interesting experience and one that I don't think this saleswoman or I will ever forget. What I loved about this moment with the sales girl was that I got to dress up and I got to, to play a little bit and I got to like test things out and, and see how it felt for me to try something different, to see which identity fit for me. And so it was nice to just play with that for a minute. I always loved dressing up as a kid. P.S. I still love dressing up. 
So the idea of dressing up as, you know, a woman as a drag persona was fun. And I think it was important for me in terms of disability to try something else just to see how it felt and to play with that. Often when we're disabled, we're only read as disabled. So this whole idea of dressing up in drag was a whole different part of the disabled identity that I wasn't aware of or ready for. And it was really exciting for me to do that. So while I was doing all that and getting ready for my big drag debut, my drag disability debut, somewhere along the line, the queer students union representatives had received my application and they rejected it. I found this to be somewhat odd and so I went to speak to the coordinator to find out why would they reject my application? Did I did I feel something out wrong? Like what's the deal here? Why why was it rejected? That's weird. So I remember sitting down with them and asking them why, you know, where, what happened? Should I refill? Should I redo it? What's going on? And they were like, they said to me, um, and they told me flat out that I couldn't do it because there was no ramp. Cue institutional ableism part one. So I, of course, urged them to get a ramp and said, come on, get, get one. And then they still said no and tried to suggest that it was a safety issue because the incline of the ramp that they would have to um, procure would mean that I would fall down. So again, they couldn't take any risks because if I fell down, it was liability, and then the disabled kid falling would mean the school would look bad. Blah blah blah. So of course, they wouldn't let. They didn't want me to. They didn't want to be liable should anything happen to me. So instead of looking for options to fix it, they simply said no. I was right pissed. I was so angry. And I realized that this was another example of the ableism within the LGBTQ community. But it was one of the first for me on an institutional level. And that really, really, really pissed me off. I was not having it. I was like, nope. And this, even unbeknownst to me, was the first time when my activism around the issue of queerness really took hold. I told the coordinator that I wouldn't stand for this, and I stormed out. I like literally like turned my chair around, and I stormed out. And I guess so. I guess <laughs> by storming out, and when you storm out in a wheelchair, you have to like storming out in a wheelchair is hard because you have to get your facial expressions really right, and you have to also time the way you're turning your chair so that the click, the clicks of your electric chair make it like you're storming out. So I, I did all that, and I guess. My drag diva persona was also coming into focus, hey? Uh, because I, I stormed out like a diva and was like, no, fuck this shit, fuck this crap. So I was telling everybody that this happened and it was ridiculous and oh my god, how dare they, blah, blah. And I was freaking out. Again, solidifying my activist persona as well. Just wanting to get things right and realizing that ableism existed this way. Not having the language for it either, um, but knowing it was wrong. So one of the reasons I love having disabled friends is because they're super resourceful. So my roommate at the time had a ramp that he lent us that you could get into like his van with. So he was like, no, 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 let me lend this to you. And we can totally, you can totally get up the stage that way. I have it, we'll figure it out. So he was amazing and said, take the ramp to the union and show them and it'll be all right. And so he convinced the union that if they were to help me with this and setting up the ramp and putting it there, nothing would go wrong. After a lot of back and forth, 
they finally agreed and we set it up. But I remember they were super bitchy about it. And they were like, this is, you should not be doing this, blah, blah. We already said no, blah, blah. They were, they would have, they were having none of it. But I was like, fuck you. I'm doing this union. Deal with it. Deal with it. The next hurdle was convincing my attendant care staff at the time, who were kids in their 20s, um, about dressing me up for my male presentingness to to my femme identity of Eloise Kumquat. And so many of the attendants who were just kids and who were just learning about all this stuff um, were like, no, no, we're not going to do We're not going to. I, I can't dress you up like a woman. That's weird why you're doing that, blah, blah. The idea of dressing a guy up in girls' clothing was met with giggles and discomfort from some who refused, but I eventually found some great people and some great friends who were like, no, no, we'll totally dress you up, and we made, like, a night of it, and we made, like, we had fun laughs, and we had, you know, we had to spend time figuring out what clothes my spastic body would fit in, because putting on clothes when you're disabled, as we talked about in a previous episode, takes time and effort and we had to we spent time figuring out which women's clothing would work and I had friends who would bring over clothes we made a whole night of it and it was really fun to play with that and to like to to see how Andrew's disabled body would fit into like a pair of pantyhose or or you know a uh, a, a women a woman's tank top and stuff like that to see how I would fit it was a, it was a fun interesting time and I realized that if you're a disabled woman or you are a disabled drag queen who who uses women's clothing. They're they're it's super hard to wear sexy form fitting clothing as a disabled femme identified person. Wow, we need to fix that. I hope that's been fixed, or we need to talk about fixing that because wow, I remember how, just how difficult it was. Also, want to make sure I include non-binary people in that. So if you're a non-binary person who wants to wear uh, different clothing than your than your the gender you are normally read as, it's it can be really hard, especially if you're disabled and have a body that doesn't that doesn't necessarily work all the time the way you want it to. So on the night of, as I was getting ready and putting my makeup on and my my glamour stuff and my glitter, I'm pretty sure there was glitter involved somewhere in there, and my high heeled shoes. Side note, high-heeled shoes in a wheelchair with spindly hammerhead toes is really uncomfortable and super painful. Believe me when I tell you, it hurt like a bitch. Halfway through getting to the event, I had to take off the shoes because holy fuck, well, they looked amazing. And believe me, I can rock a pair of, like, women's pumps and look fucking amazeballs. But wow, do they hurt when your feet don't conform <laughs> conform. The, the way that able-bodied people's feet do. Wow, they hurt lots. But they look great. Um, I remember thinking, as I was doing all this, putting on my makeup and doing all that, I remember thinking for a minute what an impact me being there would make and what, what kind of impact it would have. And it also allowed me to connect more with my femme side um, and be kind of feminine and flirty that way and really allow myself to get into that identity, which is a part of my identity, as I, as I said that I really want to get more into, and I'm really upset that I've often, even now, closeted myself off from my family identity because I was trying to fit in to this unnecessarily aggro mask-for-mask bullshit. And when I put on the makeup and, and played with the idea of femininity through drag as a disabled person, it really opened up something for me, and I 
really have to even now stop pushing that away. And I remember going across campus in this dress that my best friend procured for me. And I went across campus and I went, luckily my campus had tunnels, so I didn't have to go outside or anything, but I had to, to travel across campus to the to the campus bar to do this event. And I remember going in, the, in this dress and the high heels and a full beard too because I didn't want to shave or the person or the person that I was working with didn't know how to shave me properly because kids in their 20s who, who are helping people often don't know how to give you the best care. So they weren't the greatest at shaving. So I'm pretty sure I went to this event with a full beard. Um, and I remember all the weird looks I got as I, as I wheeled across campus in my big electric chair with a dress on with the, with the bra that I was wearing that was pretty I was pretty sure it was falling everything was everything was falling out of the out of, out of the the dress too it was a sight to see for sure I really didn't give any fucks either I was like this is what I have to do I have to do this I don't care this is important that I be there I need to represent the disabled community in drag and this is what I'm going to do and this is what I'm going to I don't care how I look I don't care if I if I look the most perfect or not, I'm going to do this. So I certainly wasn't quaffed as all the other queens there. Like some people took, some people took some time to make themselves look like, look like they were like totally done up. And some of them were beautifully done. And I did not look that way. I was definitely a male identified person in a dress being like, yep, here I am doing this, doing it. Um, but I, I, I looked okay for what it was. It was my first go round, and I was like, "I'm gonna look all right, and I'll just, I'll just power through." I wish that I looked a little bit, you know, more awesome, because I, I want to say that I went in with no expectations, but the truth is, I wanted to win that shit. And if I'm really honest, I wanted to use my disability card to win that shit too. Um, so when it came to to my turn, the the bar staff had to figure out how to get the ramps ready and that took some time and I remember people were like why do we have to wait so long I can remember hearing murmurs of like the patrons wondering what was happening and me being like fuck how am I gonna do this like oh my god this is happening and so finally when they got everything ready I roll up there and for a second I looked at all the people on stage and I knew that just by being there I was making some kind of statement I was making some kind of impact on, on this event, and I was saying in a way that that I belonged with this community and that I deserved a space here, and that was really, really cool. So it totally fed my activism for them to see me and for me to see them and to be there. It was just really, really important for me. Um, so, of course, my song was obviously Gwen Stefani's sleeper hit, from her 2003 album Danger Zone, which you should totally listen to that song because it's amazing and I fucking loved, I love that album and I really wish, P.S. Gwen, you should dump Blake Shelton because he's a racist and also because you can make better music without him. Go back to being single and writing cool pop ballads about how you're single. Please do that again, please. Um, But anyway, so I did that song and I, for some reason... I remember that somewhere in the middle of that first number, I had pigtails on. I don't quite know why. Oh, yeah, because everybody else was doing... (laughs) 
everybody else was doing costume changes for their second number, and I was like, there's no fucking way that I can change my costume, but I can change my hair. So I got them to give me pigtails and a pink hat, and I just roll in and did it, and it was freaking hilarious. It looked ridiculous, but it was awesome. And so whilst I wasn't the hottest queen and I didn't win that time, I continued doing it every year I was in university, and I had an amazing time doing it, and I wish that I could find... There's a picture of me in the first or second year of me doing it where I'm wearing a pink wig and I'm wearing someone's bustier tank top, probably my best friend, and my underarm hair is showing and I didn't care and somebody was licking my, my, my tit and it just looked, it was so much fun for me to do that. It was great. It was awesome. Um, the one year I did win, this is one of my favorite stories ever, so I did it the whole six years that I was in my undergrad. Um, and the one year I did win, my roommate and I, (laughs) he'll laugh if he hears the story. And if his wife is listening, be ready. So he decided to be my coach to show me how to, um, how to, you know, to, to play the crowd and to be more of a queen rather than just kind of lip syncing in a dress. So, we were gonna. I was gonna do Kelly Clarkson's "Behind Those Hazel Eyes," and he, so we spent hours in my room, in our dorm room together, redoing that song and doing emotions and playing. It was so much fun. I looked ridiculous doing it. One of my friends told me that when I, the year that I won and I did the the Kelly Clarkson ballad, I looked like I was in pain and people thought that I was having a seizure, um, but I didn't care. It was super amazing. And I loved doing it. It was so much fun to just to play with that. And so I still love singing power ballads or lip-syncing power ballads in my house. That's kind of what I do. And, and drag kind of taught me how to do that and have fun with it. Um, I haven't done drag in years. I haven't done it in years since I was in university. And I'm excited to see a small band of people who are disabled taking on being a drag queen with a disability. I have a friend whose drag queen is whose drag queen name is Cage Sorcerer. I want to get them on the show to talk to talk about their experiences. And I know of a drag queen who got some attention in uh, out.com who's who's a cisgender female person but who does drag in their chair and their name is Seraplegic, a play on the words paraplegic. I thought that was amazing. Who does drag that way? It's really awesome. And I really want to reinvigorate my persona, my drag persona, because it's so much fun. And it allows me to transform into someone different, and I think that's really awesome. And I don't quite know if Eloise, the name Eloise Kumquat, which I'm now remembering also got changed to Eloise Comes Lots over the years. I'm not quite sure if Eloise is a name I want to use anymore. So the other day I was on social media, and just as a joke, I put up my drag name, what it would be, and I, I all of a sudden thought, oh my god, I have the best one. And the name I chose is Chariana Grande, like Ariana Grande, but Chariana Grande to play to play on the 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 usage of disability. And I'd love to bring Chariana Grande out. So if anybody in Toronto or around the, around the globe wants to have me come out and do drag, I'd love to reinvigorate this character. 
and I'd love to bring disability and drag to your event and play with that. So let's talk about that. I think Chariana Grande would be really cool. Also, just briefly before I close off here, I want to say that I'm looking into doing something different. So you hear at the beginning of this podcast that it's presented by Crippled Content Creations, and I myself am a crippled content creator. So I'm looking at doing a different podcast outside of uh, sex and disability, and I want to do it on one of my favorite things to do, which I'm learning about, is, is research. I love research. I love doing research. I love, like scouring for research it's, it's because i was in academia for so long and that's something that stuck i love doing research for on things and i want to do a podcast about disabled history we don't talk about disabled history enough and how disability plays into history and i'm sure we'll encounter a lot of different things if we were to talk about this but i want to do a podcast that looks at disabled history and uh it's just an idea that i have right now i put it up, up on my social media on andrewgerza.com on my Twitter asking what whether we want to do that what what name for the series would you want to have if you have an idea for that or if you like the idea or dislike the idea let me know via social media you can follow me on Twitter at andrewgerza let me know um, email me andrewandrewgerza.com your ideas it's something that I want to do to really expand crippled content creations and have other shows under that particular brand. So just want to throw that idea out there. I'm going to work on it and get something together, a teaser clip once I've done some work on it, but that's my idea. Um, Yeah, so thanks for listening to that idea. All right, so that's another episode of Disability After Dark, and I want to thank you so much for shining a bright light on sex and disability with me. If you want to follow my work, you can head over to www.andrewgerza.com. If you love the show and you're listening to us in iTunes, please, please, please rate and review us so more people can find the show. You can also follow Disability After Dark on all the socials. On Twitter, we're at DisAftDark. That's D-I-S-A-F-T-D-A-R-K-P-O-D on Twitter. Or, of course, you can follow me directly at andrewgerza.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash disabilityafterdark. If you want to support the program, you can do so via Patreon. As little as $1 a month helps me keep this show going, and I can't thank you enough for all your support. You can pledge at patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations, with music by Chris Ujiuchi. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright, Crippled Content Creations, 2018.